I want to start uh, before we read the scripture passages today by giving a disclaimer, and that disclaimer is that at the end of this message, you might agree with something my wife has said about me in certain settings, which is that uh, I can sometimes need to expand my menu of choices that I make in certain parts of my life. One of the ways that, as an example, where she might say that, uh, for example, would be in the choice of food that I eat. Uh, I, I am somebody that doesn't understand the mindset when it comes to eating of like, oh, let's try something new. It's like, I don't get that. Like, we know what we like. We know what the kids like. Why? I mean, I could survive on three meals and just repeat them over and over and over again. And I don't get bored of them. And I don't see the reason why we would need to change it ever. Right? So like Beth will look at me and she's like, we had that, we had that like five days ago for dinner. I'm like, exactly. And everybody ate it and there wasn't much complaining. So let's do it again. Like I just, I literally don't understand. And in going to restaurants in pretty much every restaurant I go to, I have one thing that I order off the menu. I kind of figure out what I like. I don't need to vary it. My wife will look at me like, don't you wonder what else is on here? It's like, no, I know what I like. And if I order something else, the few times I've done it, all I do is sit there and go, I think I would have liked the main thing better, right? If I go to an Italian restaurant, for example, I don't even look at the menu. If they have chicken Parmesan, that's what I'm ordering. And when it kind of bothers me when a waiter will sit there and go, well, actually what our restaurant is known for, it's like, I'm paying. I appreciate you letting me know what you're known for. I want the chicken Parmesan. That's where I'm staying. I'm staying in my comfort zone. Don't mess with me on this. Besides the fact I don't trust the restaurants very often when they say we have a chef's selection tonight because I'm fairly convinced that the selections they came up with are just the waiters and the chefs playing pranks on us. I think they just throw stuff together going, let's see if we can get them to eat this. But as long as the waiters say it in a certain tone of voice, it makes us feel sophisticated to try it, right? They could be like, oh, tonight we have like roasted iguana, and then we have some dates on the side, and a, and a demi-glaze sauce on the top. And as long as they say it in that voice and say demi-glaze at some point, we all sit there and we're like, mm, that sounds good. I think, I think I'll have that. You're not supposed to eat those foods, much less combine them into a meal, right? And I think that they take bets with each other before their shift begins going, I bet I can get them to eat the weirdest thing on the menu. And we think we're sophisticated. We're like, mm, that sounds good. Just, I, just want, I just want to hit a four iron down the middle every time. Just give me chicken Parmesan every time. Let me enjoy it and move on. That's just the rhythm. That's how I roll. My wife would say I need to diversify and expand my choices. And again, after this morning, you might think I'm right. But you're probably going to think she's right because I'm gonna probably need to expand my choices of scripture passages we're gonna to read today. I might be accused of being a little narrow and not being very creative here this day because for six months, our church has been reading one book of the Bible. We have been reading for six months the Gospel of Luke. We started right after Thanksgiving with the story of Advent. It took us through Easter. Uh, last Sunday, we finished it up. For six months, we have been ignoring basically 65 books of the Bible, reading this one to stay focused on it, to draw closer to Jesus, to have a fuller understanding of who Jesus is. And today is the first day that we can be creative outside of that. Today is the first day when that series is done. Where are we going to go? You have no idea. We, there's 65 other books of the Bible to choose from. And, and are we going to go Old Testament? 
Are we going to stay in the New Testament? The, the options are endless. What are we going to do? And today we're going to celebrate our first Sunday being finished with the Gospel of Luke series by studying the Gospel of Luke again. Because when you got a good thing, why vary it? Just stick with what works over and over and over again. It works. We're going to stay with the Gospel of Luke. And here's the reason for it. The reason for it is that part of my hope as we study the scriptures here as a church, and part of my hope as we go through a book of the Bible like the Gospel of Luke is that we start seeing that the Bible is more than just this random selection of stories, some of which we kind of like and some of which we kind of don't and avoid. My hope in following a book of the Bible has been that we could start seeing certain threads that unite a book like the book of Luke together. That we would start seeing certain themes and certain ideas that come up over and over and over again. Certain threads that unite it and link it together. That we would start becoming familiar with kind of the bigger narratives of Scripture and of the Gospel and of God's love for us. And I have no idea if that happened for any of you as we studied this for six months. But it actually did for me. And I want to point one of those out that I think is applicable on this Mother's Day. So the first place, and there's uh, Bibles underneath the seat in front of you. I'm going to actually encourage you, uh, to, and you don't have to do this. We're not going to get legalistic about it. But we're going to read a few different scripture passages today. And so you might pull the Bible out or you might have brought one with you. Uh, if you tell me you're going on your phone, I want you to know, Al, I don't believe you. Um, so let's stick with the printed copies that are here, right? I know you have the Bible on your phone, but I know ESPN's on there too. So let's just like, let's stick with, with what's in front of us. Uh, the first passage we're going to read is from page 858. It's from Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 39. Before we read these scripture passages, I'm going to invite you just to pray with me for a minute. So let's pray together. Lord, as we gather here this day, I pray that you would be with us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that no matter how we walk in here, that we would be open to what you, the living God, wants to say to us today. Mold us and shape us and form us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so the first passage is on page 858, Luke 22. This is a passage of scripture that we traditionally celebrate during Holy Week, and we read on Maundy Thursday, the night after, right after the Lord's Supper, as Jesus is waiting to be arrested. Starting in verse 39. He, Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling on the ground. When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping because of grief. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so in this first passage that we see here, I have always read this a certain way. In all my years as a Christian, uh, and I, I came to faith after college, uh, but, but now I've got enough years on me that that's quite a number. I've always read this Monday, Thursday passage in a certain light. That Jesus, as he is waiting, is wrestling, and he's almost wrestling internally with different parts of kind of his own being. What I mean by that is this, is, is that what one of the mysteries that we believe in our faith is that we believe that Jesus is both fully divine and fully human. 
And to me, when I read this passage, it's almost like I see and have seen almost these two parts, the divine and the human parts of Jesus, sort of wrestling with each other in this garden. The human parts of Jesus are obviously not wanting to have the lynch mob come and get him, and that's what it is. If you've been to Jerusalem before, if you've had the opportunity to be there, and I had the chance to go when I was in seminary one time, the Garden of Gethsemane, where this passage takes place, is one of the most powerful places because it allows you to picture this passage in, in a different way than how I usually read it. Usually when I think about praying, I think about someone praying with their, their eyes closed and kind of focused. I don't think, in my own opinion, Jesus prayed that way in Gethsemane. I think he prayed with his eyes open. The reason I think he prayed with his eyes open is when you go there and see where Gethsemane is located on the Mount of Olives, uh, looking down on Jerusalem, you would see that as he was praying this prayer, he wasn't just wondering if people were coming to arrest him. But this was a time when at night the only way you could travel was by torch, and it only shone a, a small distance. And so no one could have snuck up on him where he is. He's on a higher elevated ground above the city. He would have seen the people as he was praying, knowing what they were coming to do to torture and kill him, and they would have seen them with their torches coming. And as he's praying and as this anguish is in his life, he's watching them get closer and closer and closer and closer. And as our tour guide, we were there, pointed out, if Jesus had wanted to stay free and to avoid this pain and this torture and this death, it would have been very simple to do. He could have just stayed ahead of the torches that he saw. He could have climbed the Mount of Olives, always knowing where his pursuers were. He could have gone down on the other side of the Mount of Olives into the wilderness on the other side and escape would have been easy. So when he's praying, let this cup pass from my hands. I don't want this. It also would have been a very simple solution for him just to escape and have kept going and gotten away. The human parts of us work this way. This is what drives human beings, whether we like to admit it or not, whether we like the, the way it sounds or not. This is what glide, uh, drives global economic systems. People will look out for themselves. We have whole economic theories that work for hundreds of years based on the principle that people like what they like and they don't like what they, what they don't want. They want the world to work and function well for them. And yes, we might be generous with a little bit of that, but for the most part, when push comes to shove, we're gonna look out for ourselves. Again, it's like, I don't like the way that sounds. I know, I don't either, but it works. Capitalism is built on the parts of ourselves we don't like to brag about. And for hundreds of years, it's worked. These are the human parts of Jesus, it seems to me, that he's wrestling with. This is not what I want. And it's an overturning in some sense and a wrestling with the sin we see in, in, in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve when they're told not to eat of a certain fruit and they're like, I think I'm going to do it. I think I know what I want my life to look like. This is what I think is going to work out best for me. I know that you tell me not to eat of this fruit, God, but this is what I think is, I'm, I, I, this is my truth, my life, my rules, my reality. I'm going to be in charge of how I think things would work. I think I know better than you what's going to be best for my life. So I'm going to eat of the fruit. And Jesus is wrestling with that very human part of himself that's very understandable in the garden. This is not what I want. Let this cup pass from my hands. But then you see what I've always seen as the divine part wrestling in that and kind of going to war at that, going, but not my will, but thy will be done. 
It's almost an overcoming of the sin of Genesis 3. It's almost an overcoming of that self-centered nature that can drive so much of what we do and who we are individually and as a community. As a community. And we see this kind of like, I've always seen it as this wrestling and I always gave thanks on Monday, Thursday. Oh, I'm so glad. Because this, this choice that Jesus makes, do I run or do I not, has changed the course of humanity. It has changed the course of creation. It was an overcoming. Do you see that? An overcoming of the divine will and showing us how we're supposed to function. This wrestling of the divine and human in Jesus. All right, so that's how I've read this. Now, second scripture passage I want you to look at is from earlier in Luke, Luke chapter 1, and that's on page 831 of your Bible. Now, I want you to keep the 858, keep Luke 22 in your mind this Monday, Thursday, but open to page 831, Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 26. This is a, whether you come to church often or not, this is a very familiar passage of scripture that came from our early days in this series. Starting in verse 26 of Luke 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end." Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Do you see it? Do you see the thread? Now this is, this is a really important passage of scripture. We've talked about this before. We usually have uh, Advent that we're celebrating. We're getting ready for Christmas. And um, I was about to say it's colder. It's Austin. It's about like the temps like it is today uh, when, when we're usually reading this. But this comes at a different point in the church calendar. And this is a passage of scripture where we see what we believe is most likely Mary as an engaged teenager who has an angel appear before her and give her news. And she would not have heard it, we've talked about in the past, as being aligned with what Gabriel says to her when he says, greetings, favored one. Because the news she gets would not have probably made her feel all that favored. Because there were not a lot of people just so you know, running around Galilee at this time going, I wonder which unwed mother, uh, woman is going to have the Messiah. I wonder who it's going to be. Let's all be on the lookout. And so Mary, by finding out that she was pregnant and going to have a baby before being married, was given what was almost certain a range of options that her life just changed and became. The worst case scenario of what she was given was that she would die. By law, she could have been stoned 
for becoming pregnant before she was married. So the worst case scenario she was just given that the law allows for is death. The best case scenario, the best case on the spectrum of the news she's given is that her life is going to be unbelievably more hard than she would ever have dreamed of or hoped for. Because the best case scenario is that for the rest of her life, she will be tainted in the eyes of good, respectable people. She will have stories that follow her and her miracle son around with her in this small village where she's grown up. Maybe her parents disown her. If not, then they receive the scorn of the community, being turned away by the establishment, being turned away by good, religious, law-abiding people. This was the best case scenario that Mary was given. And sometimes I think about her. And sometimes when I think about her, I see her in movies or we have like, you know, if you see a Christmas pageant or something else, often we think of this very quiet, demure person. And I have no idea if Mary was an extrovert or an introvert. I don't know how much she talked in social gatherings and how much she didn't. But what I can tell you is that this was no wallflower. Mary is a woman of unbelievable faith and toughness and courage. Because this unwed teenager in the end says to Gabriel, here am I, a servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And so I ask you again, do you see it? Do you see the thread? Because scripture is more than just a random assortment of stories that we might like. Do you see the thread that Luke is using that unites this past, these passages almost at the beginning and the end of his gospel? Because, my friends, it is not a huge jump to move from Mary's words of, here am I, a servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. It is not a huge jump to let this cup pass from my hands, but not my will, but thy will be done. You see it? Because when you see that thread, I start thinking that maybe I've read that Luke 22 passage, that Monday Thursday passage wrong for many different years of seeing this as the debate and the wrestling between our humanity and the divine nature. I don't want this, but your will be done. This wrestling match I've always seen in Jesus of his human nature and his divine nature competing with one another at this most crucial moment in history. Will he go to the cross as God has called to bring salvation to the world to change our lives or will he run and all of us would have understood if he did that in that moment maybe it wasn't a wrestling match between the divine and the human in Jesus maybe in that moment when he said not my will but thy will be done he was reflecting the best parts of his mother reflecting the best parts of this woman who had shaped him and formed him and modeled faith for him and prayed for him for decades. Here am I, she said, a servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Maybe it was for that part, that exact part of Mary, that God the Father looked and said, it's you. It's you who will be the mother of the Messiah. 
Because in this most crucial moment in human history, I want him to respond like you. Who are the women who have shaped your story? Who are the women that have shaped your life? Mother's Day can mean many things for those of us who are here today. Some hard, some joyful. But all of us have women who have shaped and formed who we are today. Maybe it's your mother. Maybe it's a grandmother. Maybe it's an aunt, a spiritual mother, a mentor, a teacher. But who are the women who have shaped and formed you, whose legacy is passed down to you to carry on? Because that's ultimately what we celebrate on Mother's Day, right? And the way we do it is we give a card or maybe we phone somebody or uh, we make, you know, take them to brunch or we get dressed up or like whatever else it is. We show up to church or like there's a whole different thing and all of that is good. But what I want to suggest to you today is that there's a better way of celebrating this day. And the better way is our third scripture passage. And hold on to your socks because we're now going to move out of Luke for the first time in six months. <laughs> we're going to go all the way to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, on page 58 in your Bible. This is where God gives the Ten Commandments. Over 600 laws that God's going to give in the Old Testament. This is the top ten list. And number five, that's in verse 12, commandment number five is this. Honor your father and mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor the women who have formed you. Honor the women who have come before you. Honor the ones whose legacy has been passed down to you. And to honor somebody is more than just being nice. It's more than just giving a card. It's more than just going to lunch or going to brunch. To honor somebody is a very particular word biblically. And what it means is this. It means to remember that in the decisions you make, in the life you live, to remember the legacy of your mother and father, of the women and the mother figures who have shaped and formed your life. As you make decisions today and tomorrow, how can their voice be in your ear, guiding you, shaping the decisions you make and the life you live? How can their legacy, because if you want to know what that looks like, if that's too abstract for you, go back and think about Jesus. I don't know if he was thinking about the fifth commandment as he prayed in the garden, but he may have been. But that's exactly what he's doing here. He's honoring his mother by in this most crucial decision, emulating the values that she has shown in her life and let it guide him today. So I invite you as we close today to consider honoring the women in your life who have shaped and formed you. You can do that by just taking some time now, taking some time in the service, taking some time today to think about who they are, who are the women that have shaped you, and what is it specifically about them that has made a difference in your life? Don't just just kind of sit there and go, well, they're real nice. They're always really kind. What specifically about them shapes you, and how can that legacy become a part of who you are? How can that voice be in your ear as you go forward? That's how you honor 
And maybe, just maybe, if they're still alive, maybe today when you call them or sit across from them at brunch, maybe tell them. Tell them the difference that they made and why. Because a card is nice and brunch is nice and you dressing up and coming to church is nice. But honoring them will mean more than anything else you can do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this day that we would see this thread that runs through your word, your gospel, and that we would embrace it for there to be life and greater life in us. We give you thanks this day for the moms, the grandmothers, the mother figures, the women who have shaped our stories. We all have them. May we give thanks this day and embrace their legacy in our lives and honor them. Lead and guide us in this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.